Okay, we're working our way through Ephesians, and my temptation was to skip over this part and uh, get to the good stuff, uh, but we do need to address it. And I think Lori's story of the Totspot child is very appropriate for our context today. Because part of that child was saying that sometimes we don't listen to God at home in the same way we listen to God uh, when we're, say, at the church or somewhere else. And I think that's true. And Paul's burden is that faith goes home, is that the gospel has an impact on our home life. And that's why it's so important for Paul to talk about husbands and wives and parents and children. Uh, because it's important that this gospel isn't just something we reserve for Sundays, that it actually impacts the whole of our life, including these other relationships. So we're going to get to that in a minute. So hold on to that thought, and we'll come back, and we'll have a look at what Paul says there for real. But I want to do just a little bit of a recap, because we've been looking at Ephesians through the lens of identity. And that's the lens I've picked up because I think it's a common theme today. It's uh, both in the news and in our thoughts and our hearts and in our experience, our daily experience. It's often at different parts of our lives, different age, different uh, stages of our life, that we pause and ask the question, who am I and why do I matter? Who am I and why do I matter? And we have all different ways of answering that, depending on what we're doing for work and what our family situation is and where we live and our ethnic background. But a lot of those things can change. A lot of those things aren't very secure when we go to try and anchor our identity. And so the gospel invites us to do this, to find our identity in Christ. And this is what the gospel says to us. This is what the Bible says, that you and I are made in God's image. That's the first thing that we're told. I love the fact that in our statement of faith for the church, uh, the first thing we say about humanity is not that we are all sinners. Actually, the first thing we say about humanity is that we are all made in God's image. That's the core of our identity. But Bible also says, not only are you made in God's image, you belong to God. Not in a possessive way, like you're mine, you're not going to do anything else but more in a loving embrace that we belong. And the third thing that the Bible says to us is that we are made for a purpose. We are here on purpose. What we face in our life is for a purpose. Paul gets much more specific than that. He says we are in Christ, we belong to him, and that we are made to do good in the world. That's what we're made for. And so as we lean into this identity, then our sense of self, our sense of worth, is grounded in the gospel. But here's my question. How do we know and how do we experience that identity? And how do we help others to know and experience that identity? Well, Paul says that we do so through the church. That the church has a particular calling to live out the gospel in such a way that people discover and understand and experience their identity in Christ. So people will know that they are made in God's image. How? Well, when we treat one another with dignity and respect. Do you see how that works out? How are people going to know something of the gospel, something of God? Well, when they see it in us. That's what Paul is saying. That's the calling on the church. 
How do people know that they belong to God? Well, when we embrace them without prejudice as part of the community, when we create a sense of belonging in the church. How will people know that they are made for a purpose? Well, when we equip and empower them to use their gifts, when we make room for them to use their gifts. These are the, this is the calling on the church in order to inhabit the gospel in this way. Our mission statement at Bonavista Baptist Church is to invite, encourage, and equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And that's a reflection of this calling on the church. We believe that the, the answer to this whole question of identity is to learn what it means to follow Jesus. How are people going to learn when they see it lived out in us? That's a pretty high calling, isn't it? How do people know what God is like? How do they know his love? How do they know that they belong? How do they know that they can be forgiven? When we put those very things into practice within the church. So that's the calling that Paul lays on us. And it's a pretty high calling uh, that we're called to walk in. And to be honest, we don't always get it right. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we need God's grace as we walk through this. Well, today in Ephesians, we come to one of the most abused texts in the Bible, right? And sometimes one of the most feared texts in the Bible, wives submit to your husbands, right? And this is proper. And it's unfortunate that it's kind of feared and often so abused. Um, sometimes it's used to assert male dominance in the marriage, Let's just be honest. It's been used that way. And I think that's improper. I, I think that's a, a shame that it's used that way because that's not Paul's intent. The modern evangelical take on the text is a little bit softer. Often this text is used to call men to step up and take leadership in the home. I think we need to call men to step up and be engaged in their families. But we have to be careful that it's not just a power grab or something like that. Um, I, I was listening to another preacher preaching on the text because I wanted to compare notes and maybe steal some illustrations. And uh, this one I'm stealing, but as a negative comment, I won't say who the preacher was, but part of his preaching was this, men, step up and seize your rightful place in your family's life. He said other words, but seize your place, grab hold of it. And I'm not sure that that's the heart of of the text. My mom would often say when she heard this text, yes, my husband is the head, but I'm the neck, right? You've heard that before? <laughs> I'm not sure if she said that too often, but that's certainly the way it works in my family. <laughs> um, and so we, we kind of joke with this a little bit, but here's what William Barclay says, and I think it's a good point. Sometimes the emphasis of this passage is entirely misplaced. And it is read as if the essence was the subordination of the wife to the husband. The single phrase, the husband is the head of the wife, is quoted in isolation. But the basis of the passage is not control, it is love. And that's what we need to get to as we journey through this passage together. Daryl Johnson, pastor and author, in his book on Ephesians, uh, he recalls a cartoon that appeared in Christianity Today. And in the cartoon, it pictured the Apostle Paul. And Paul was coming up to the gates of, of Ephesus. And he had a bunch of scrolls in his hand and his letters, and he was looking a little disheveled as he stood at the gates. 
and he couldn't get into the city because there was a protest in this cartoon. All the women of the city had come out and they were holding signs. Paul is a male chauvinist pig and all these kind of things. And the caption at the bottom of the cartoon was simply, oh, I see you got my letters. Right? <laughs> Daryl Johnson goes on to explain that Christianity today in that cartoon gets the text wrong. Gets the text wrong, but I think that's our impression of it and our impression of a lot of Paul's writings. Actually, if we understand the text correctly, I think it's the men that would be protesting and not allowing Paul to come in. I think it's the men that were upset at the words that Paul says in these texts. Because what Paul is doing here is he's actually turning the world upside down through the gospel. He's actually turning upside down the societal norms as we go through this text. In this text, we see the revolutionary nature of the gospel because in it, Paul challenges the normal household code. There's a household code. We probably have a household code too of what a family looks like, right? Well, in the times of Greek and Romans and time of Paul, there was a household code. And lots of different writers addressed these groups within the household. Husbands and wives, fathers and children, masters and slaves. And often the husband, the father, and the master was the same person. And if you read this text carefully, Paul is actually saving his harshest challenge for the husband, the father, the master in order to correct the imbalance of power that he sees within the household code. Aristotle also talked about the household code. He's a Greek philosopher, but in it, he treats only the husband, the father, and the master as truly human. And that was the common feeling of the time, that it was just the husband, the father, and the master that was truly human. Everyone else, they were just property. They were just property that had no real say in anything that went on in the household. And so we see something happening in Paul in the way that he addresses them. Paul upsets the cultural norm by addressing directly his comments to the wives, to the children, and to the slaves. And that's unheard of. And maybe we don't see that in the passage so much, but what Paul does is he actually addresses them first. He talks to wives first, and then he talks to children first, and then he talks to the slaves first. And we think, what's the big deal? Well, according to Aristotle and others, the way that you address something to, say, the wives is you do so through the husbands. The way you address something to the children is you do so through the parents. The way you address something to the slaves is you do so through the masters. And so if Paul was following his cultural norm, what we'd read in this passage is, husbands, get your wives in order, right? Or, or fathers and parents, get your children in line. Or we'd hear him say, masters, keep control of your slaves. He doesn't do that. He actually goes against the cultural norm. He actually goes against the, the household code, and he addresses the others first. Yeah, we, we didn't have time to read about the children and the masters and slaves, but it's actually quite remarkable when Paul writes this letter, it would have been read out loud to the congregation. And I'm sure children sitting there, when Paul said, hey kids, I've got something to tell you, they would have been 
An adult doesn't address us directly, especially not in public. Like, it's amazing what Paul is doing here. And he's giving dignity and status and honor to three groups that are often thought of as possessions, not as persons. Do we begin to see some of the revolutionary nature of this that we might have overlooked because we isolate this one text at the very beginning of it all? So Jesus and Paul elevate the status of women and children and even slaves. They're not property, they're people. And this is the trajectory of the gospel. Paul is working out the gospel to the point where there is neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, but all are one in Christ. That's the direction he's moving in. And that's what we see here, that in all these relationships, there's an equality in Christ. So two quick keys to really understand what Paul is saying here. The first one is uh, found at the very beginning of the passage that we didn't read, but you can look it up later. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. It says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. The first key to understand what Paul is saying to the household is in verse 1 where it says, We are to imitate God. Literally, the word is mimic. You ever thought about mimicking God? That sounds uh, kind of strange, right? How are we to mimic God in our households? Are we to say, I am the great creator and you will bow to my authority? No, that's not what Paul says. Actually, in verse 2, he tells us how we are to mimic God. He says this, mimic God by living a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. For God so loved the world. And so when Paul calls us to imitate God, to mimic God, he's calling us to love. And that's what we find in this passage. In fact, the bulk of the passage that was read for us is directed toward husbands, right? Uh, in Paul's day, and especially in the Greeks, um, the, the wives, your official wife, was kept in order to give you legitimate children. But the men, it was understood, would find their pleasure and companionship somewhere else. And so when Paul comes in, he says, that's not appropriate. If you have a wife, then you need to love her. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? Love your wife in a way that is sacrificial. And if, if you can't understand that, then at the very least, love your wife as you would love your own body, and he knew that some of these Greek guys, they love their bodies maybe way too much, you know? Love your wife as you would love your own body. Essentially, Paul is rephrasing the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It just happens to be that our closest neighbor is our spouse, right? And so Paul is saying this is the challenge that he's laying to men, is to love their wives as Christ loved the church and as they love their own body. Husband, he says, put your wife first. And wives, give honor to your husbands. That's how he sums it up. So this is within the context of imitating God, of imitating God's love for one another. These are meant to be relationships filled with love. The second thing, the second key to understanding this uh, passage uh, is found in verse 21 and 22. And it's in the context of submitting to one another. That, that context of submitting to one another, of subjecting ourselves to one another, is essential to understand what's happening here. 
In fact, as we read verse 22, there's no verb. I know I don't have it up on screen, but as you look at it in the Greek, there's no verb in verse 22. It literally just says, wives to your husbands. That's all it says, right? And we're going, well, what does that mean? We actually have to borrow the verb from the sentence before, which is submit to your husbands, right? And so this is how the passage would actually read if you just translated it directly. Submit to one another, wives to your husbands. It's in the context of submitting to one another that Paul directs the whole rest of the passage, including his, uh, uh, um, what he says to the husbands. In fact, the whole passage is found back in uh, verse 15, where Paul says, we all have to live carefully. And he describes life of the Spirit in this way. We are to speak to one another with psalms and hymns. We are to sing from our heart to the Lord. We are to give thanks to God for everything. And we are to submit to one another in Christ. That's the basis for what Paul says in the following and the next uh, uh, verses that come out. And so although Paul highlights the relationship of husbands to wives and wives to husbands, really he's speaking to all relationships, calling us all to submit to one another. Well, how is this possible? How is it possible to have a functioning society or a functioning church or a functioning marriage if we're constantly submitting to one another? What does that mean or what does that look like? I think Canadians find this hardest, right? You ever see a group of Canadians that don't know each other and they're about to go through a door and they're like, no, you go, no, you go first. No, you know, you're fine. You go first. I'll hold the door. You go, right? Everybody's kind of polite, submitting to one another. And maybe that's the image we have in our mind of this kind of chaos. Don't we still need leaders? Yes, we need leaders. And our leaders need to submit to one another. And so how does this work out practically within marriage or even within the church. Well, that word submit means to stand under. And I think it's a great image for us. There's a story in Mark's gospel about two of the disciples coming to Jesus. And they said to Jesus, we want you to do something for us. I mean, imagine the audacity, right? And Jesus is very kind to them. And he says, okay, tell me, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, well, when you get into your kingdom, we want the place on the right and the left of you. We want those places of power. And all the other disciples, they were ticked off. They were like, what? How did they get those places? And what does Jesus say to them? The greatest among you will be the servant. And I think that captures the heart of what Paul is also saying to the church and to relationships within the household. To submit to each other is to stand under. It's not to seize power. It's not to seize control, but instead to stand under one another as servants. I can only really understand you when I stand under you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says it in a different way that maybe helps us understand what this is about. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Value others above yourselves. So wives, he says, value your husbands above your husband, hopefully you just have one, above yourself. Husbands, do the same with your wife. 
And this is the mutual submission that we find within this context of valuing each other, of standing other and under each other and holding each other up rather than trying to crawl over one another in order to get to the goal of having power, right? This is what we're finding happening in the gospel and in this passage. So wives, value your husbands above yourselves. Husbands, do the same with your wife. And this applies actually to all our relationships in Christ. So if our identity is that we are made in God's image, then we should mimic God in the way that we love one another. Just as Christ gave himself to serve others, so we are to give ourselves to serve our family members and one another. This is our identity. The old humanity under Adam, without the Holy Spirit, they were standing over one another. This is what Jesus says. But the new humanity with the Holy Spirit, we stand under one another and hold each other up. So wife, stand under your husband. Husband, stand under your wife. Child, stand under your parent. Parent, stand under your child. Servant, stand under your master. And master, stand under your servant. This is the, the method of submission that Paul is advocating for within the household. Paying attention to one another's interests, valuing others above ourselves, promoting uh, the well-being of each other, and working together for the success of another person. Who will you stand under today and hold up? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example of Jesus. Father, we pray that as we try to imitate him, that you would grant us grace by your Holy Spirit. We realize that we can't do this on our own. Father, help us to submit, first of all, to you. But Father, also help us to serve one another in the same way that you have served us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.